I would love to go to sleep at night and not dream about shrimp. How many shrimp are we actually talking about? Millions? Billions? Probably trillions. We trawled in the fall winter and we were able to pull out about three to three and a half million shrimp. That was a very small dent. Humans put the shrimp into Lake Tahoe on purpose. Now UC Davis scientist Brant Allen wants to take them out. It's difficult work, but it could restore Lake Tahoe's clarity and preserve its blue hue. If we can improve it and actually go back to clarity that we had before, I would love to come over Echo Pass as a 60-year-old and have it look like it did when I was four. These aren't just theories anymore. I don't want the snow to go away. Yes, Tahoe will change. I kind of feel like that endangered pika. Tahoe doesn't control climate change. It's a victim of it. From Capital Public Radio, this is Tahoe Land. It had always snowed by the third weekend in September, but that doesn't happen anymore. I want to see our forest restored so that Tahoe doesn't burn the way Paradise did. Chasing the snow is a huge part. It's about the lake, that's why everyone's here. There are a lot of green lakes, there aren't very many blue ones. I'm Ezra David Romero. Lake Tahoe has a shrimp problem, but they're not the big white and orange shrimp you get on a taco or on top of pasta. They're called mysis shrimp. Each one is about half an inch long and are almost translucent with big black eyes. They are voracious invaders, and they're changing the lake. Because of the shrimp, Tahoe's water might become green and slimy instead of crystal clear. The shrimp are a nuisance. If they stay and multiply, it'll be hard to keep Tahoe blue. But if we remove them, that might be a solution, one other communities all over the world could learn from. The shrimp might be a clue to tackling the effects of climate change. Welcome to Tahoe Land. It's the middle of the night, and I'm on a boat with Brant. We're here to catch some shrimp. We're headed south out of Tahoe City down to Emerald Bay, uh, one of the more scenic parts on the lake. Introducing these little shrimp into the lake has completely changed the aquatic system. But how did they even get here? Well, it was the 1960s, and authorities in California and Nevada put them in there as fish food. When I first got here, I was working on the deep living lake trout. At certain times of the year, they were stuffed full of these shrimp. These shrimp don't like light, so they lurk near the bottom during the day. The lake is so deep that the fish can't see them, so they don't eat them. That whole fish food idea was a bust, and the shrimp population boomed. When the sun sets, the shrimp travel to the surface. That's why we're out here at night. We just came into Emerald Bay, and this is really one of the jewels of Lake Tahoe. We're surrounded by snow-capped peaks, and the water here is just this beautiful emerald color. So this is where we're working on the shrimp, and we're looking at how to harvest them most efficiently. The bad news is that the shrimp eat microscopic organisms called zooplankton that keep Lake Tahoe's water clear and blue. And what we're going to do is we started down here, kind of in the, the southwest part of the bay. We're going to transit the full deep length of the bay. When we get down to this end, we're going to make a U-turn. This idea to remove the shrimp developed from a strange occurrence almost a decade ago. In 2011, the shrimp all but disappeared in Emerald Bay for no apparent reason. What happened next shocked researchers. The bay's water clarity doubled. It was clearer than the rest of the lake. The shrimp came back, though, and then the water got cloudy again. Now Brandt's team is working to reenact that strange moment by removing the shrimp with nets. 
at night. Right, we got the doors. Bring Bloom in. Katie Semst is one of the researchers. We'll go ahead and we'll grab a five-gallon bucket, put a little bit of lake water in it, cut open the bottom of the net so we can take a look at how many mice we got. Here's Brandt's hypothesis. If they can take 75% of the shrimp out of the lake, its crystal clear glory measured in 1968 will return. Back then, you could see over 100 feet into the lake. That's a lot of shrimp down there. And they're moving. Is this a typical night? Um, in the fall, we were averaging about six pounds per hour. This is probably maybe four pounds per hour, somewhere in that range. But can this project be scaled up? Brandt says so. His way of doing it is sort of radical, but it kind of makes sense. You could potentially use a whole fleet of autonomous boats that left their slip when the recreational boating is done, go out and trawl, or use other techniques like pumping shrimp up and treating them with UV light or using that warm water treatment. When they're done, maybe at four in the morning before recreational boating starts, all of those autonomous boats go back and dock themselves in their slips. It sounds a little crazy, but the technology is there. Envision a fleet of autonomous boats vacuuming up shrimp every night. They're kind of like Roombas on the water. This would take a lot of money and a lot of time, but it'd be huge for tourism and the lake's ecology. I asked Brandt's boss, Jeff Schlatto, about this. There's actually a lot of hope there. There is a way forward on clarity. And where this ties in with climate change is that if you have a lot of the native zooplankton back, then even if sediments are coming in at the surface in a warmer lake, in a rain-dominated system, they're, they're set up to, to deal with that. It may seem odd, but it's really saying the lake was doing perfectly well before we came here. Everything we can do to help it get back to how it was operating then can only be good. Okay, let's take a step back. This episode is not just about shrimp, although I had no idea they were here in the lake when I started reporting this project. There are persistent leafy green aquarium plants in Lake Tahoe. They expand and they take over the lake's shorelines. There's also cannibalistic bullfrogs in Lake Tahoe and a whole slew of fish that just don't belong. All these species are invaders and they're changing the Lake Tahoe we know. But Tahoe's not alone in the fight against invasive species. Creatures and plants are spreading all over the world as warming temperatures transform the places we love. In this episode, we're going to look at the people who are fighting back against these species. So the first question our colleagues asked us when we started this story was, can we eat the shrimp? So our data reporter, Emily, and I tried them. Mm -mm. Honestly, it doesn't taste like anything. They feel like something, though. You're right. They're not good. <laughs> You're right. I don't, I don't like it. You're right. <laughs> so Emily's here with me now to relive this experience. What up, Shrimpette? What up, Shrimpette? So I think the question here isn't if you can eat the shrimp, but if you should eat the shrimp. So they were really gross, and it was kind of like chewing on crunchy, oily bugs. And I really don't know how we talked ourselves into doing this. Yeah, I don't either. They were pretty gross. <laughs> but once we mentioned it to the UC Davis team, they were like, do it. Yeah, there was no going back. Before we get into the process of all this, make it this straight. People put the shrimp into the lake. And now we're living with the consequences when you go visit Lake Tahoe. Yeah. 
What else did you learn about this? So I spoke with one of the parties that's responsible for putting the shrimp in the lake, the Nevada Department of Wildlife. And they teamed up with the California Department of Wildlife in the 60s to put the shrimp in the lake. And they know now that they messed up. They've seen the consequences. And the biologists who were involved in it feel remorseful. But basically, hindsight is twenty twenty, and they just didn't understand then like we do now what these shrimp could do. So instead of being this great fish food, they're also eating this zooplankton, right? And those zooplankton help clear the lake. How do they do that? Yeah, so these zooplankton, they're called Daphnia, and they're kind of like water fleas. And they play this huge role in clearing the lake. So they eat the algae and dirt that makes its way into the water, and then they poop it out, and these little poop pellets fall to the bottom of the lake. So basically, Daphnia poop through this gross process is cleaning the lake water. They're kind of like little vacuums. Yep, that is exactly what it's like. And that's part of why Tahoe is so clear. The other really cool thing about these Daphnia is that they're kind of crustacean feminists. What? Yeah, so Daphnia are this kind of matriarchal species because they can reproduce normally between females and males. But when there's a lot of food and they really want to boost that population, female Daphnia can just clone themselves and produce tons of tiny clone daughters. So they're just like, what? I don't need a man to boost my population? Exactly. But there were literally zero Daphnia per cubic meter in Emerald Bay at last count. There should be thousands of them. Wow. How come so little? Like, what's going on? So these are some hungry shrimp, and they have eaten up all of these Daphnia. Katie Sempt from UC Davis explained it to me in a way that really made sense. Daphnia, they're kind of like cows. They're really slow, but they're also really efficient at eating. Meanwhile, the other zooplankton, they're kind of like rabbits. They just zip around really fast. Here's Katie. So if you're a mycid shrimp swimming through at night, who are you going to eat? You're going to eat the cow. But then you have these inefficient grazers, the rabbits that are left, and the field gets overgrown, and you lose your clarity. So is this problem fixable? So we started off this podcast in Emerald Bay, where Brant Allen is trying to see how we could reduce the shrimp population. He would really like to see the number of shrimp down to about 25 per square meter, but that would be a huge reduction from where we're at now. If we got the shrimp down to the level that he wants, the Daphnia population would grow back and they could clear the lake like they're meant to. And that would totally change Emerald Bay. And then if it went to Lake Tahoe, this could be a solution for clearing the rest of the lake, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're obviously obsessed with shrimp now. I hear you even have an outfit. It is a crawdad outfit, Ezra. (laughs) But I understand you have some more work that people can look at. Yeah, so my shrimp fascination has manifested as an article. It's at capradio.org slash Tahuland Shrimp. And if you go there, you can find some really awesome videos, photos, and graphics to help you understand the huge impact these shrimp are having on the lake. Yeah, the graphics are awesome. I love how the fish move and the shrimp go up and down. You can see the levels. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Thanks for joining me today and talking about shrimp and telling me about your obsession. Of course, Ezra. I am ready to talk about shrimp and Daphnia. Always. Thanks. Even if the shrimp get under control, there are still other invasive species in the lake, like crawdads, bass, catfish, and three-pound goldfish. And then there are these cannibalistic bullfrogs. Sarah Muscoff and I are attempting to catch some bullfrogs at Taylor Creek on the southwest side of the lake. Ooh, yuck! Yo, did you see it was right in front of us? There it is! Oh my god. Get it. I saw it. Oh my gosh, it was oh, ugly. It was huge. I almost stepped on it. Oh my god. Sarah's an aquatic biologist with the Forest Service in the basin. 
She says Taylor Creek has the largest population of American bullfrogs in all of Tahoe. They're considered one of the 100 most voracious invaders in the United States. They're the largest frog in North America. They're cannibalistic. They say about 80% of their diet is other bullfrogs. We're hunting them because Taylor Creek embodies all of Tahoe's climate change challenges. Every warm water invasive fish that we have in the basin is also present in this system. The good, the bad, and the ugly are all here reaping the benefits of this really great habitat. They do so well because the shallow water warms fast. As the climate changes, this creek will most likely be dominated by non-native species. Taylor Creek has the highest temperatures of any stream to date. So although it has some cold water habitat right now, come August, it's reaching that threshold where um, it's lethal temperatures to a lot of our native species, but not our warm water species. Lethal temperatures. That means more predators and plants crowding out native ones. That's why we're chasing bullfrogs. Sarah wants to give native species a fighting chance to thrive, even as temperatures change. What'd you, what'd you get? Nothing? <laughs> oh, you were great. Invasive species aren't just threatening Tahoe. They're spreading around the world, and if they aren't controlled, the invasions could intensify. Carrie Brown Lima is the director of the New York Invasive Species Research Institute based at Cornell University. The looming fear is really of a species that has nothing to keep it in check. Carrie says removing invasive species is tough. Scientists are often just learning how climate change is influencing them. And the fear is that species will spread to new ecosystems. Projections show the Northeast is probably one of the areas that the climate is going to change more and become better for, for a lot of these invasives to move north, where, in fact, it might become too warm for other invasives to take over in the south. This reminds me of the bark beetle that killed more than 129 million pine trees in California during the recent multi-year drought. A similar bug is moving north on the East Coast. It's called the southern pine beetle. I was speaking with a researcher who studied this. He, he lives in New Hampshire, and he says, you know, every year I have to drive less to reach my research sites just because this species has just been moving north at such a steady rate. I think one of the most fascinating cases of invasive species has to do with snakes in Florida. Florida is a really crazy invasive species hotspot. The Burmese python escaped into the wild and has just been able to reproduce. Apparently the climate in Florida is perfect for them throughout the Everglades. It's just been really feeding on all of their native um, small mammals, which is their normal prey, but our mammals here aren't adapted to them. And that's why Carrie says it's important that we take action. Sometimes invasive species seem like this insurmountable problem. And yes, we're never going to get rid of all the invasive species, but we can slow their spread. And, and we do have a role and a responsibility in that. Let's talk about responsibility for a second. We haven't always been great stewards of Lake Tahoe, but there is work being done. We're doing more boat checks to make sure invasive species don't make it into the lake. But Jesse Patterson says more can be done. He's the Keep Tahoe Blue guy from episode one. Pump it up. <laughs> Workout. 
boot camps, Tahoe, Tahoe boot camps. Right. We're pumping up blow-up paddle boards as fast as we can because mosquitoes are fierce here. We need to get moving. They're pretty big. You can, like, feel them biting you. We're making our way down the Truckee River in South Lake Tahoe. It's hard to tell from the paddleboard that the subdivision of homes is on the other side of the trees. It looks just like a forest. Focus up here, yeah, just don't hit the bushes is basically what that means. Okay, so go wide. <laughs> Be the river. Be the river, Ezra. Right when we got into the water, something crazy happened. A black bear crossed the river in front of us. There is a bear. Woo, that's cool. Might have been the same bear I saw earlier. We're paddling to what Jesse says is the Venice of Tahoe. It's called the Tahoe Keys. It was one of Tahoe's biggest wetlands, and a large part of it was dredged in the 50s and 60s, and then replaced with 1,500 homes alongside canals. The Tahoe Keys is the poster child of a, of a mistake. It was done, you know, not with ill intention. It was just put in a bad location, particularly it was in this giant marsh meadow that used to be a filter. Not only did we remove the filter and break it, essentially, we added pollution on top of it. Today, the Tahoe Keys pose a new threat to the lake's pristine shoreline. The shallow, warm canal water is perfect for invasive fish and weeds to flourish. Boat traffic jam? Yeah. With so many people coming in and out of the Keys, boat propellers chop up the weeds. So the problem is all these pieces of plants on the top of the water? Yep, that's it. These are, these are the fragments, and, and you'd be like, why do these little fragments matter? Well, if you look at some of them, they already have sprung roots. So every one of these fragments could turn into a new plant, they could turn into a new infestation. And before climate change, there wasn't much space for them out there. Now the lake's a lot warmer, and there's, um, we're finding more and more places where these plants can establish and grow and spread. Each little fragment can ruin a whole beach. Imagine walking up to the shore, and instead of seeing slabs of granite through the water, you see a gooey green mess. The weeds change the soil, the water turns green, and then invasive fish come. The main reason now is that the lake's warming up. So the conditions outside the lake along the shoreline are now much more similar to what's inside these um, man-made lagoons. Particularly in the last five years, our average water temperature at Tahoe has increased 10 times faster than the previous 40. The Tahoe Keys are here to stay. That's why there's an effort to figure out ways to stop these little shards from leaving the lagoons. It's all about buying time until a long-term solution emerges. One idea? bubbles. There's a perforated tube running at the length of the um, channel and it's creating literally a wall of tiny bubbles that goes all the way to the surface and the plant fragments floating anywhere in the water column can't get past it and get pushed to the top and then to the edges. If you look right over the side now, it'll get pushed right into that sea bin right over there. See that passive skimmer against the wall? It's like a tra fancy trash can. There might be other ideas too. They're choking out plants with black mats, mowing the weeds with an underwater trimmer, and thinking about using a water-based herbicide. But what everyone pointed out to me, the best way to keep invasive plants and animals out of Lake Tahoe is to never put them there in the first place. And yeah, that's a simple idea, but so many species have been added to the lake by us. The first two episodes of Tahoeland have been all about the lake, and for good reason. The lake influences everything here. But tons of people come here for other reasons, like the mountains and the snow. So in our next episode, we're going skiing with an Olympian. Right leg, woo, leak and turn. Good job, left leg. Ah! Oh, nice, good save. I almost good died. Save.
Don't forget to stick around after the credits for a Tahoe tidbit on what might be the lake's biggest invasive species. Our digital producer, Casey Sycamore, will unlock that mystery. Tahoe Land is edited by Nick Miller. Sally Schilling is our podcast producer. Our digital editor is Chris Hagen. Emily Zentner is Tahoe Land's data reporter. Casey Sycamore is collecting your questions about Tahoe and answering them. Our website is built by Renee Thompson, Veronica Nagy, and Katie Kidwell. Linnea Edmire is the executive editor. Joe Barr is our chief content officer. And our associate producer is Gabriela Fernandez. Our music is by artist Charles I. He's from Tahoe. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Check out our website, capradio.org slash Tahoeland, for videos, photos, additional stories, and more. I'm Ezra David Romero. Thanks for listening to Tahoeland from Capital Public Radio. Tahoe Tessie. She's Tahoe's version of the Loch Ness Monster, or Nessie as the Scots call her. With help from our friends at KQED's Bay Curious podcast, we put a call out for your questions about Lake Tahoe. Allison Savage from San Francisco wrote in and wanted to know, what's the history behind the Tessie legend? I'm Casey Sycamore, interactive producer for Cap Radio, and for this Tahoe tidbit, we get to the bottom of Allison's question. Remember Tahoe historian Dave Antonucci from the first episode? He said, The bottom line on this is that there's no prehistoric monster in Lake Tahoe. However, there's something. Dave points out that Lake Tahoe is only a couple million years old, so if there's a monster living in the lake, there's no way it's prehistoric. But Dave says about 50 years ago, people started reporting sightings of something large, indescript, and kind of prehistoric looking in the lake. Some of these can be explained as shadows on the water or, or waves or debris like a log or something like that. But others were a little more credible. Uh, and some of them came from people I know. <laughs> so I knew that there was something there. His best guess at what that something is? A big fish called a sturgeon. It's been around for a long time, and if you've seen one, it, it kind of has a prehistoric look to it. It's kind of scaly with large fins and a, a kind of a dinosaur-looking snout. They grow quite large. They can grow up to 22 feet long. And the conditions are in Lake Tahoe are such that they could survive. Okay, so Tessie might be a sturgeon. But I wondered, are there any photos to back any of this up? Of course not. <laughs> Maybe someday we'll get it with cell phones that have cameras, but there's I've never seen any photographic evidence of it at all. And um, if somebody ever gets a picture, that would be interesting. So if you spot Tessie, send us a picture. In the meantime, you can see a photo of a sturgeon and find more answers to your questions about Tahoe at capradio.org slash Tahoeland.